Africa rise and shine Africa tsoza Africa amuka na unai Thursday the 25th of October 2018 good morning and welcome to Africa rise and shine this is Channel Africa the African perspective and we are broadcasting live from Johannesburg South Africa we are on the frequency 7230 kilohertz on the 41 meter band to southern africa and 11925 kilohertz on the 19 meter band to far west africa as well as on dstv's audio bouquet channel 802 my name is kakisho sakatelo in studio with Anne musa tabiso lehoko and fikile lungwati your top stories this hour u.s authorities probe mail bombs sent to critics of president donald trump Development Bank Southern Africa starts climate finance facility. In your economics news, concerns over the South Africa's huge debt. And in your sports news, mind games escalate ahead of the Soweto Derby in South Africa. But first, here's Anne Musa with the news. Very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musam. Mozambique's main opposition party, Renamo, has announced peace talks where the government are on hold due to allegations of fraud in this month's local elections. Renamo says election authorities falsified results and robbed it of victory in five of the 53 municipalities. The October 10th polls were seen as a key test of the peace process between the ruling Frulimo and Renamo, which maintains an armed wing. The party has gone to court to challenge the results. Renamo says the resumption of peace talks will depend on the constitutional court's pronouncement. Nigeria's parliament has passed an electoral act which will make it mandatory for electronic card readers for accreditation of registered voters to be used in next year's general elections. The BBC's Alohu Tanku reports. This is seen as a move to address the issue of electoral malpractices that characterize Nigeria's elections. Many fear the electoral device may not function properly, especially in rural areas, due to chronic power shortage in the country. The parliament also pegged campaign spending at almost $14 million for presidential candidates and a lower amount for other contestants seeking public office. In South Africa's coastal city of Durban, the bail application of 11 accused allegedly linked to terror organization ISIS is due to continue in the Verula Magistrates Court. The state is expected to continue presenting its affidavit in opposing bail. The accused are being charged in connection with a spate of bomb scares at shopping malls in the province and an attack on a mosque in May this year. They are facing charges of murder, attempted murder and offenses relating to using explosive devices arson, extortion and terrorism. The court has heard that the crime-fighting unit, the Hawks, found various items at the home of the alleged kingpin, Fahad Homer. These include flammable devices similar to those found at the sites of the bomb scares, ISIS flags and a detailed manual providing information on how to carry out terrorist acts, including bomb-making plans. 
The trial of controversial Nigerian pastor Timothy Omotosu resumes in the High Court in South Africa's Eastern Cape Province this morning. It was postponed to allow the defence time to prepare its argument for an appeal after the presiding judge refused to recuse himself from the case following a request by the defence. Omotosu and his co-accused are facing 97 sex-related charges. Anda Ngonji reports. On Monday, defense advocate Peter Doberman told the court that Omutoso and his co-accused believed that they were not receiving a fair trial and that the judge was biased. Doberman listed several incidents accusing the judge of having aligned himself with Zondi's case. However, Judge Makaula dismissed the application, saying it had no merit. Doberman indicated they would apply for leave to appeal his decision. The defense was granted time to prepare arguments for a possible appeal in the Supreme Court of Appeal. And finally, Liberian President George Weah has declared free tuition in all public universities for undergraduate students in the country. He made the announcement before hundreds of cheering students at the University of Liberia's Capitol Hill campus in Monrovia. Students recently protested against fee hikes accusing the University of Liberia's administration of unilaterally hiking fees. Details of the new tuition fee policy and source of funding have not been disclosed by the Liberian government. That's the news. Headlines at 8.30 Central African Time. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zola. Africa, Amka na unai. Our top story this hour, United States President Donald Trump says the full weight of the federal government is being deployed to investigate and bring those responsible to justice after several bomb-like devices were mailed to high-profile political leaders in several locations of the country. A pipe bomb device was successfully removed from the Time Warner Center that houses CNN's headquarters in New York, causing the building to be evacuated for hours. Devices addressed to former President Barack Obama and former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton were also intercepted by the Secret Service. Sherwin Bryce Peace has more. The area around CNN's headquarters near Columbus Circle evacuated, an area normally a hub of activity in central Manhattan brought to a standstill. As the NYPD's bomb squad successfully removed the device from CNN's headquarters and ferried it out of the city, the New York City Police Department's Deputy Commissioner, John Miller. The incident here today, uh, once the package was discovered, emergency service was notified. They called the bomb squad. The bomb squad, a device contained in that package using the total containment vessel, the TCV, or in Rodman's neck where FBI special agent bomb technicians will work with our people on how to get it to the next stop, which should be the FBI lab. So. All of this evidence can be examined together. The Secret Service also intercepted devices sent to the homes of billionaire philanthropist George Soros and Bill and Hillary Clinton in upstate New York, 
one addressed to President Barack Obama in Washington, another addressed to former Attorney General Eric Holder in Florida, and a mail-sorting facility in Maryland that services Capitol Hill. Hillary Clinton earlier weighed in. We are fine, thanks to the men and women of the Secret Service uh, who intercepted uh, the package addressed to us long before it made its way to our home. Every day we are grateful for their service and commitment and obviously uh, never, never more than today. But it is a troubling time, isn't it? And it's a time of deep divisions and we have to do everything we can to bring our country together. The current administration quick to condemn these acts of terror. Listen to Vice President Mike Pence. We condemn these attempted acts of violence in the strongest possible terms. These cowardly acts are despicable and have no place in American society. I want to assure you we've deployed the full resources of the FBI, the United States Secret Service, and they're working very closely with law enforcement officials. Law enforcement in New York will remain on alert with high visibility resources deployed across the city, while officials explain that there were no further credible threats here at a time of acute political division across the country, as New York Mayor Bill de Blasio explained. Let's just say this to all public officials of all partisan affiliations. Don't encourage violence. Don't encourage hatred. Don't encourage attacks on media. Uh, you can disagree, but you have to show respect for people and air your disagreements peacefully. So unfortunately, this atmosphere of hatred is contributing uh, to the choices people are making to turn to violence. There's no question about it. And the way to stop that is to turn back the other way, to bring down the temperature to end any messages about the use of violence against people we disagree with. And that has to start at the top. None of the pipe bomb devices harmed anyone while law enforcement is investigating whether they were sent by the same person or group of people. I'm Sherman Bryce Bees in New York. Still on the international front, a UN special rapporteur on human rights defenders says anti-immigration rhetoric around the world is increasingly worrying. Independent, right, independent rights expert Michelle Forst says, also says defenders themselves often face attacks from local officials and are at the center of a narrative deeming them enemies of the state. Forst explains that countries resisting immigration fear an influx of migrants will change the nature of the country and taint national values. During my academic visits to countries, during my official visits to countries, uh, since I've been appointed in March 2014, I met with a number of defenders of rights of migrants and people on the move uh, in, the, in the U.S., uh, in Mexico, uh, in Guatemala, Honduras, uh, in Colombia. Uh, that's okay also in Azerbaijan, uh, in Hungary, uh, in Europe as well, and uh, in Australia uh, also where they are facing uh, a dire situation, those who are trying to, prepare to, to protect uh, asylum seekers. Uh, and that's a global phenomenon. Uh, you see that uh, 
migration is a global phenomenon, uh, and you cannot escape uh, of that. Uh, people need to move, will move, uh, be it uh, by, because they, they want to move or simply because they are forced uh, to leave the country and to move. Uh, so we need to find ways to protect them. And human defense are those who are protecting the rights of migrants. Uh, and because they are sometimes assimilated uh, uh, to migrants, uh, they are themselves facing uh, strong attacks by, by states and public officials. Uh, that uh, accuse them to be to be smugglers uh, or to introduce uh, migrants uh, illegally uh, to countries, uh, and that's uh, a phenomenon which is for me uh, uh, really uh, worrying, uh, uh, with the uh, increasing uh, number of countries in in which we see uh, populist leaders, um, not only Hungary but also uh, Poland, uh, the Czech Republic, uh, Slovakia, but also Austria, uh, Italy, and uh, although. There are also countries in which you don't have those populist leaders. The, the power of those parties also in countries is so powerful that sometimes those who would like to refuse to, to, to follow the same path sometimes also tend to, to be vocal also on migrants. That's the case in France. That's the case in Spain. That's the case in other, in other countries in which you see that defenders of the right of migrants are now sometimes brought to justice like in France, like in Italy, like in Spain. So democratic countries are also following the same path, which is for me a signal that something is going wrong. What is the justification that they're giving uh, for, first of all, um, repression of migrants and preventing them from coming into the country and also repressions against defenders of their rights. And you see, I mean, you, you know the rhetoric of those uh, political leaders, those uh, politicians, uh, those um, actors uh, that uh, uh, tend to, to, to communicate a strong message that those migrants uh, would change the nature of the country, that would introduce new, new values, uh, which are not the values of the countries. Uh, uh, that's the case for uh, those who are coming from, from uh, uh, Muslim countries. In fact, uh, they would say that uh, the power of those, those, those people would be uh, in our countries uh, a danger, a threat uh, for, the, uh, for the values of the states. So they find uh, many ways also to, uh, to also, uh, describe those migrants as a danger for the country. And I was in, uh, in uh, Hungary precisely at the time where there was a flow of, of migrants trying to escape from uh, Syria, trying to enter from, through uh, Serbia to Hungary. I was appalled to see the behavior of police officers, also of, of, of citizens uh, that were so uh, trying to protect the borders, uh, trying to... Uh, uh, to uh, also uh, attack uh, the, 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 the migrants and the defenders. Uh, so that's something which is for me uh, a matter of, of great concern. You mentioned also terrorism as one of the um, abetting terrorism as one of the justifications for um, you know such actions. Yes, I in fact uh, uh, I wanted to to celebrate the 20th anniversary uh, of the UN declaration on human defenders, uh, and uh, I in. In fact, launch uh, a big survey amongst defenders, asking them, "What do you need? In fact, uh, what would be the best the, the best message that we could convey to states uh, for this anniversary?" And they told they all told me that uh, the most impressive uh, and the most uh, massive concern is the the narrative on defenders. Uh, as you rightly say, they are called uh, uh, close to terrorists. Uh, they are called enemies of the states, uh, uh, promoters of Western values. Uh, 
they are uh, accused of being smugglers, uh, as, I, as I said, uh, anti-development, against progress. Uh, and in fact, those campaigns of defamation and vilifications have an impact on how the global population of those countries uh, uh, would uh, assess uh, the, uh, the defenders. Uh, while those people are simply trying, people that are trying to promote and protect their rights uh, that have been adopted uh, 70 years ago uh, at, at in, in, in Paris uh, with the UDHR. And uh, because they are promoting the rights, uh, trying to protect uh, those who are protecting the rights and promoting the rights, they are in fact accused of, uh, of being uh, uh, like the evil. I just want to uh, make sure you said they're viewed as protecting um, or bringing Western values. Yes. In, in, in Middle Eastern countries, you mean? In, or? in, in many countries. Uh, huh. If you take uh, Central America, Latin America, when it comes to uh, LGBTI, uh, activists uh, uh-huh. or uh, when it comes to uh, uh, sexual and reproductive rights like abortion for instance uh, those defenders are accused of uh, yeah, introducing uh, western values uh, that would not reflect uh, the uh, moral uh, attitude uh, of those countries that's the case in Africa uh, as well with uh, LGBTI uh, in, in many countries uh, you see that uh, those who are trying to protect uh, activists are in fact uh, in great danger and uh, uh, the call for moral values uh, is something which is, for me, uh, uh, a global trend that you see in many countries, uh, and that will explain why those politicians are currently uh, uh, trying to vilify the defenders. And that's independent rights expert Michel Forst talking to UN Radio's Elena Vachnip. Welcome to Change Your Game on Channel Africa, the African Perspective. We are coming to you from Johannesburg, right here in South Africa. I'm Asanda Beda, your host. Change Your Game, the program that promotes open discussion and social dialogue as we highlight real issues in the African entrepreneurship ecosystem. Trevor Mumba now joins us in studio to talk about his entrepreneurial and personal journey. Welcome to Change Your Game, Trevor. Thank you so much. Um, it's an honor to be here. Palesa Mukubong, who's a designer. Welcome, Palesa, to Change Your Game. Thank you. Your role at the fourth annual Fashion Without Borders event? I just know that I need to arrive and, and, <laughs> okay. and do my part and do it really, really well. South African Finance Minister Didombowene says despite major spending pressures, the expenditure ceiling remains intact. Mboweni was delivering the medium-term budget policy statement in Parliament yesterday. Lulama Matia reports. Mboweni says government remains committed to sustainable public finances, but there are concerns about the growing public sector wage bill. It accounts for about 35% of the consolidated spending. Boweni says this year's public sector wage agreement exceeds the 212 billion rand budgeted for salary increases and other conditions of service over the next three years. He says departments must carefully manage overtime and performance incentives. About 36% of your budget goes to civil service salaries. Then you should be worried because your sweet spot should be below 30%. What do, but these are human beings. Eh? They've got houses, they've got bonds, they've got children in school, and so on. They must eat, they must, and so on. And their expenditure actually does contribute to 
demand and consumption in the economy. So you have to be alive to that fact. But you notice that you can't go on. So that's thinking about other things. Boweni says revenue shortfall collection experienced recently would have been larger were it not for increase in personal income and other taxes. He says revenue collection for the first six months of this year grew compared to the same period last year. However, he says technical recession impacted negatively on revenue collection and announced no additional tax increases at this time. We will urgently fix the South African Revenue Service. It is a matter of public record that the capacity of SARS has been weakened. It is in this context that the SARS leadership must and has to be strengthened. We cannot expect to continue functioning effectively if the tax collection authority is broken. The organization SARS has many talented and committed employees who want the organization to succeed and who are working tirelessly to rebuild trust. But when he says due to higher borrowing, debt service is the fastest growing spending category at 10.9% of the total expenditure. But he kept the expenditure ceiling unchanged from what was announced in February. For 2018, South Africa's growth focus has been revised down from 1.5 percentage points to 0.7%. Growth is expected to recover gradually over 2% in 2021 as confidence returns and investment gathers pace. Addressing corruption, Boweni said he has requested his director general to make sure that all officials found guilty in connection with the Guiani Water Project are brought to book. The Guiani Water Project is plagued by malfeasance. It is a cesspool of corruption. The challenges range from a complete disregard for supply chain rules to poor contract management, resulting in irregular expenditure. I have have requested the Director General of the National Treasury to work with the Department of Water and Sanitation to ensure that appropriate action is taken against all guilty officials implicated in the Ultra General's report. But when he says government will zero-rate sanitary pets, bread flour, and cake flour, he says the revenue loss associated with zero-rating these items is estimated at 1.2 billion rand. Lula Mamaja in Parliament. South Africa's currency, the RAND, took a nosedive as the country's finance minister, Tito Mboweni, was delivering his maiden medium-term budget policy statement yesterday reprioritization of funds to support growth and job creation and the addition of sanitary pairs to the goods that will be zero-rated were among the announcements made at this mini-budget. Following the tumble by the RAND, there are fears that ratings agencies might downgrade the country. To talk to us more on this, we are now joined on the line by Chief Economist at Efficient Group, 
Davi Ruet. Good day, Radi, Ravi, uh, Davi, and welcome. Uh, good, uh, good day to you. Thank you. Uh, Davi, let's drive straight into it. Were there any yes. surprises for you from the midterm budget yesterday? Uh, surprises? No, not really. Uh, I think uh, I think if there's any surprise, it's uh, the honesty of the Minister of Finance. It's clear that we are in very, very deep trouble. We are, in fact, in a, in a, in a fiscal uh, a crisis today. And I think the Minister of Finance, is, of course, he's trying to, to, co- uh, do, to, to, to let it sound a little bit less dramatic, uh, but the reality is that we are very, very deep in trouble. Uh, if anything, if I can criticize him, of course, he has only been there for about two weeks or so, so I, 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 one would have expected the Minister of Finance to make significant or uh, big changes yet. But if there's anything that I can criticize the Minister of Finance, is that he's, he hasn't prepared as yet for a massive cut in state spending. He's hinting to that. He's suggesting that the civil servants are getting paid too much and that you have to do something about that. But the reality is that in order to save the fiscal from the so-called fiscal cliff, uh, we have to cut back on state spending and we have to cut back quite dramatically. So let's hope that old thumbs that in February's budget there will be significant cutbacks in state spending. Now, you talk about trouble. You know, we're in big trouble. Uh, is this a combination of, uh, you know, having to cut spending, that we are overspending right now, uh, the, the huge debt we're in? You know, can you uh, talk us through this trouble? What trouble are we in? Yes. Okay. What, uh, what, what has been happening, and this has been happening primarily the past 10 years, and it started uh, from the financial crisis, 2008-2009, and it happened mostly under the, 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 the Zuma administration, and it ha- happened mostly while Praveen Gordon was the Minister of Finance. But when, when Praveen Gordon took over as the Minister of Finance, state debt as a percentage of the economy, or, or of its percentage of GDP, was around about uh, 25%. Today's state debt stands at 55% to GDP, and that excludes the debt of the state-owned enterprises. So the reality is that the state has simply spent more than what the economy ca- could afford, that we, the taxpayers, could afford. And the reality today is then that we sit with a, with a crisis in that the state owes too much money and state debt will continue to go up over the next couple of years. And that is the main reason why I also expect the rating agencies to, to be concerned about that and I think there's a good possibility of, a, of another rating downgrade. And that's the reason why I say that the only way that we can really save the, the fiscal situation is by, for the state to cut back on state spending. The state is too big, they spend too much money, we cannot afford it anymore. What do you make of the RAND's reaction to the mini-budget yesterday? Well, the RAND is simply telling us what, uh, what, uh, what the financial markets are thinking. The financial markets realize uh, that the state will need to borrow more money because there's a big hole. State revenue taxes are not performing as expected. The state is too big, like I said, they keep on spending too much money. And that, that means that money needs to be borrowed to fill that hole. And the financial market, the capital market weakened on that, and the rent weakened on that as well. And I think the financial markets are preparing us gradually for a possible downgrade. Now, the state debt, yeah, you say it's risen to 75% of GDP. Um, uh, add that to uh, a possible downgrade. What does that mean to uh, the common man yeah. on the ground? Yeah, the, the, the number is actually 50, 55% of GDP, that's state debt to GDP. Well, it, it's important to all of us. It, the state owes so much money, they have to go and borrow money somewhere, and they borrow the money typically from pension funds and from insurers and big local and international investors uh, or, or, or yeah, um, fund managers. So that's where they borrow the money from. If we do get a downgrade, then South Africa, if we want to borrow money, will have to pay more interest on that. 
And if you pay more interest on that, then the state's spending, of course, will go up even more, and the state will need to borrow even more or cut back on other kinds of state spending. Uh, so it is important for all, to all of us. If, if, if there's a downgrade and the state borrows more money, uh, that interest that the state pays uh, will have to come from somewhere, and it usually comes from a pocket of the, of the taxpayer or the state needs to cut back on something else. So it's not just a number that's not going to affect uh, as the normal man on the street. This is something that is of the utmost importance to all of us. The more the state borrows, the more interest rates will go up and the more interest we have to pay and the more taxes we have to pay in order to fund that. So certainly facing tough times. Now, the minister uh, spoke tough on corruption, uh, but he also yeah. made, um, you know, he spoke of uh, various uh, reprioriz- reprioritization programs. Uh, yeah. Do we expect uh, both of those or either of those to uh, contribute to a uh, stimulation in the economy? Yeah. Let me, let, me, uh, let me answer that question in a different way. So, yes, we have a fiscal problem in South Africa, and I've just explained it. I've just explained the numbers. Right. Uh, and, we have, and we've got an economic problem in South Africa. The economy is just not growing, and the minister of finance down, uh, adjusted his economic growth forecast downward as well. But we have to be honest with ourselves, and that, that the main issue in South Africa is we've got a political problem. And we will not be able to address issues like corruption and, and policy uncertainty, and also the, the state of the, the state's finances if we don't fix the political problem. The, and the political problem is that we have a government that has done immense damage to the South African economy the past 10 years or so. Now, I know many analysts are saying, let's just wait for the election and, and the, the, the president will consolidate his power and he will start doing all sort of right things. I am not so sure. I think the issue in South Africa is that we have a government, and most of them are still there. We have a government that got us into this hole. And I'm not so sure that this government is going to get us out of this hole. Tough times ahead indeed. Thank you very much, Davi. My pleasure. Thank you. And that's Davi Ruert, Chief Economist at Efficient Group. And that takes us now to 30 minutes after the hour 8 Central African time. And it's time with um, Anne Musa for your headlines. A very good morning to you. I'm Anne Musan. The headlines, renewed fighting between Cameroon's army and separatists leave at least 10 people dead in the deadliest clash since President Paul Bia won a seventh term earlier this week. Mozambique's main opposition, Renan Mousse's peace talks with the government are on hold due to allegations of fraud in this month's local elections and the bail application of the 11 accused of links to ISIS is due to continue in the very low magistrate's court in South Africa's KwaZulu-Natal province. Those are the stories making headlines. Still on finance matters, South Africa's finance minister Tito Mboweni's medium-term budget speech has been met with mixed reaction by people on the streets of Cape Town. Carmel Loggenberg reports. Finance Minister Tito Mboweni was quick off the mark during his medium-term budget speech and highlighted that ordinary South Africans are feeling the pinch at the tolls and at the petrol pumps. For ordinary South Africans, it has become a difficult time. Administered prices such as electricity and fuel have risen. Unemployment is unacceptably high. Poor services and corruption have hit the poor the hardest. 
In an effort to assist the poor, Humbleweni imposed a zero VAT rate on sanitary pads, bread and cake flour from April next year. He also announced housing subsidies amounting to 1 billion rand that will be centralized to help low- to middle-income households access affordable home loans. In the public health sector, 350 million rand has been reprioritized to recruit about 2,000 health professionals into the public health facilities. This has been welcomed by some on the streets of Cape Town. I think it's a very big change for um, more special our people that in our community that hasn't got jobs. It is a good idea if we can, we cannot pay tax for food that, or let's say, poor people are usually buy every day, like pogoma, bread, that kind of stuff of a food. So uh, people who are not affording to buy this stuff can buy it. From what I hear, it does sound like it's quite positive changes, especially the, with the aspects of the, the sanitary towels for women. But for others, it's just not enough. Yes, housing is important. Um, healthcare is important. But what about the other things? Are they investing money in crime? Getting more polices? What about that? Ugh, doesn't make much of a difference, eh? Like, make school fees cheaper. Like, I don't know, man. Like, something else. Meanwhile, others believe it's still early days for Mboweni and only time will tell whether these tweaks to the budget will and can improve the lives of struggling South Africans. I'm Carmel Lochenberg-Roberts in Cape Town. And in some sad news, the South African music fraternity and its fans remain shocked following the passing of hip-hop star Jabulani Tambo, better known by his stage name Double HP. Tambo is regarded as one of the pioneers of local hip-hop music, particularly rapping in vernacular languages. The veteran rapper, who had often been open about his struggle with, depre- with depression and suicidal attempts, died yesterday at the age of 38 in Johannesburg. The family has asked for privacy as it mourns his death. October also marks, marks Mental Health Awareness Month here in South Africa, and we are now joined on the line by clinical psychologist Vuyo Temba. Good morning, doctor, and welcome. Hi, Kachisa. Thanks. Doctor, first of all, please tell us, what is depression? How different is it from normal changes in one's typical moods, and what signs can we look out for? Yeah. so I think what's important is, you know, we always think of depression, people always think of depression as that sense, yeah, sorry, I'm, I'm tired, I'm, you know, I'm just moody. And yet depression is more than that. So the easiest way for me to explain it is all of us, we wake up, you've got good days, you've got bad days. And when we have bad days, we're able to recognize what it is that sometimes causes us this bad day and be able to then consciously decide what we need to do to, to function. But you find that in most cases, even if I'm having a bad day, but I'm still able to engage with all other aspects of my life. That way it becomes then tiring and almost an effort to just make it through the day. That's when we start looking at depression. Because depression is that it's a mood disorder um, that happens over a period of time and it starts to affect other aspects of our life. So the easiest way to, to pick it up, for instance, we find that there's a change in mood, uh, there's a change in the interest that we used to have. So suddenly a person is no longer 
engaging and taking interest in the things that used to generally interest them. Um, sometimes you find that some people become withdrawn and they remove themselves from any environment that allows them to be with other people. We also see it in changes in one's um, cognitive function, where suddenly you find that sometimes people will struggle with memory or, you know, short, particularly short-term memory, aspects of concentration, the ability to focus, but also there's changes in behavior that comes with depression, where, like I said, sometimes you find that things that the person needs to be interested in, they're no longer interested in, and, you know, there's um, where, for instance, we are no longer driven, We there's no sense of motivation, there's no goal-directed behavior in terms of this is what I want to do, follow through with it, and act on it. Um, but also we find that, you know, some people may even lose appetite, so suddenly they they are not eating well, they are not sleeping well is another sign that we often pick up. And in extreme cases, you then find that people will have that sense of hopelessness um, and helplessness, which suddenly then leads people to having depressed, um, suicidal ideations or when they start to think it's so overwhelming that they can't imagine functioning continue to function in the state that they're functioning. And so some people may think that, you know what, I'm better off not alive so that when you start to have uh, your suicide ideation. But in most cases, that's when it's, it's an extreme case of depression. Now, Doctor, we've had a number of high-profile um, uh, cases of uh, suicides and depression, um, both locally and globally. Um, mm-hmm. Is that helping at all to sort of uh, remove the stigma around social, uh, around mental health issues? And what more can be done to educate people about, um, in terms of understanding and uh, how how best to be able to help uh, people uh, in their communities and in their surroundings uh, who do suffer from mental health uh, issues? Yeah, on one level, I think the the amount of deaths that we're seeing um, is raising awareness. You know, no death is good in terms of, you know, saying it's a good thing that people are dying and therefore we know. But what we take out of it is that I think the more we are being more honest and people are being more honest about the causes of death, sort of then makes it makes it relatable, makes depression relatable, because then you start to think if this person is suffering through that, and I can identify my own struggles, um, and and for that reason, I, you know, who am I to think that it can't happen to me? So one thing that it's doing, I think, it's helping with the awareness because when people are able to see it for what it is and realize that also it's not something that befalls a certain type of person only, because there's also the the stigma that says. You know, people who suffer from mental illnesses are non-functional, they are unkept, they look dirty, and, you know, it's not people who can contribute productively and who are functioning in our society. So the, the more we are seeing this coming out, the more people are able to understand that it is also, you know, an ordinary person out there that is suffering. 
And uh, yes, more can be done, obviously. Um, I think one of the things that we're picking up that is still a challenge in terms of people that are experiencing mental health issues is the, is the issue of access. Because currently, yes, a lot of people who seek help, um, and when people do seek help in the private space, those people are able to probably access help much quicker. But when you go to um, in the public sector, because of the demand and just the number of people who need the services, access becomes a problem. And then you find that by the time people are able to reach help, um, you know, things have probably gone too far that people think it's difficult to, to can go back. So I think on, uh, on from the medical perspective, I think the onus is also upon the medical fraternity or the Department of Health to continue to raise awareness to these things. But also I think there's at, at school's level, I'm finding that more and more we are also starting to deal with a lot of learners that are depressed, a lot of students, university students that are depressed. And I think those are also platforms that should be utilized to educate but also to allow people the space, spaces should be created where people can openly um, talk about their vulnerabilities, can openly talk about what they are struggling with, can openly talk about, you know, their sense of being uncertain, even about what is happening with them in the context of mental health. Great. Thank you very much, Dr. Vuita. Pleasure, Shifa. And that's clinical psychologist Vuyo Temba joining us on the line to talk about depression and mental related issues. Messages of, con- of condolences for South African hip-hop artist Double HP continue to pour in since the tragic news broke that he had been found dead on Wednesday. Celebrities and fans alike have expressed their heartbreak over the 38-year-old's passing and his family has reportedly confirmed his death but not how he died. Thirty-eight year old Jagulani Sambo is regarded as one of the pioneers of local hip hop. He launched his music career in the late 1990s, releasing a number of hits over the years. It is not clear at this stage what led to his death. One of his biggest songs released in recent years is Boso Kimang. Family spokesperson Edgar Mahaledise says that they are still shocked. The family is devastated. They are in mourning and we are confirming that Jabulani Sambo passed away. At the time of his passing, he was 38 years old. He survived by his wife, his parents, two sisters and his son and nephew. The Sambos request privacy during this time of mourning. Once all the arrangements have been made, the family will make further communication. Acting president of the South African Music Industry Council, Debu Hosetatu, says that the music industry has lost a giant. Now we're shocked, still shocked, because of the loss of a young life, highly talented. I want to first and foremost pass all condolences to the family of Java. And on behalf of the South African music industry, I'd like to say... May the good Lord strengthen the family and uh, the friends as well as uh, the industry colleagues who have worked closely with um, this young man.
The fans of WHP and other music lovers had this to say about him. Ah, WHP, man, it's so sad. We'll really remember this guy as a combination of Pantula, hip-hop, you know, he was very versatile and he sang with our African languages, mostly Tana. We, we loved him, you know. He's gone so soon, so young. As a personal friend of mine, I am deeply, deeply saddened by his passing. WHP was a lovely person to know, a gem. Uh, he had a lovely spirit, a great energy. It is uh, a sad, sad day for South African music and um, for all his family and his friends. Rest in peace, Java. One love, homie. Um, WHP was, for me, the king of Mutuako. Um, I knew nothing about Mutuako music until WHP happened. And indeed, he was a very versatile artist with a very different, unique, distinct sound. And I think he will be remembered um, for the love and um, being so open as well about the challenges that he used to go through as a person who is in the entertainment industry. WHP may his soul rest in peace. And with that, it's 15 minutes to the hour, 9 Central African time. And Tabisa Luhoko is standing by with your economics news. Good morning. Thousands of members of the South African Solidarity Movement will embark on a march to the Johannesburg Stock Exchange and Cecil's head office in Santon, north of Johannesburg, this morning. The march comes in the wake of a dispute between petrochemical company Cecil and Trade Union Solidarity about the exclusion of white workers from Cecil's Kanyeza shares plant. Now, Solidarity will serve court papers in Cecil to test the legality of the plan. Solidarity is at Dirk Herman. They will first hand over a memorandum to the JSE. The focus there will be on the JSE Empowerment Index. And that index allows companies to um, list shares and um, um, schemes that is exclusive of specific race groups. Now, that can't be acceptable at all in today's South Africa. The second memorandum that will be handed over is at Sussel, and that memorandum will be also accompanied by court papers, and thousands of workers there will hand over court papers today to Sussel as well. South Africa's Deputy Finance Minister Mondli Gungubele says the government is set to partially privatize the struggling parastatals. His statement comes after Finance Minister Tito Mbowene said in his medium-term budget policy statement in Parliament on Wednesday that the configuration of parastatals was on cuts with the help of the private sector. Many of them have severe liquidity problems. Gungubele explains government's plan for the parastatal that are in trouble. That's the cabinet view now, is that uh, we've got what we call, for instance, a framework uh, for, for transforming a state-owned enterprise. Amongst other things, is consideration of an equity partner. It means bringing in private sector and uh, private sector participation, and even the manner in which you give guarantees, guarantee developmental expenditure, not operational expenditure, and uh, 
rationalization of those structures, making sure that probably there's a fair balance between the commercial imperatives and public accountability. Meanwhile, Higher Education Deputy Minister Buti Manamela says that they're excited about Finance Minister Tito Mbowene's announcement that sanitary products will become VAT-free. In an effort to alleviate poverty, Mbowene said in his immediate maiden medium-term budget policy statement that VAT would be scrapped on certain foods such as bread and flour. Manamela says it will now be easy to approach donors. What we helped to do was put it on the national discourse. You know, many people, be it in government, be it in the private sector, um, you know, to challenge some of the uh, big companies that are producing sanitary towers to do their bit uh, in terms of, uh, you know, local production, in terms of, uh, you know, pricing, in terms of, uh, 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 you know, them also uh, giving out. Ethiopia is soon to ban the import of lead-based paints containing more than the maximum allowable lead content. The Council of Ministers has approved a regulation drafted by the Ministry of Environment, Forest and Climate Change to affect the ban. The regulation bans the import-export manufacturing, wholesale, distribution and retail of paints and any other paint product containing 0.9% total concentration. The US dollar trades at 1047 Botswana Pula. It's at 1159 Zambian Kwacha. In BRICS currencies, the US dollar is trading at 370 Brazilian roll, at 6545 Russian ruble, and at 73.7 Indian rupee. 694 Chinese yuan, 1436 to the South African rand. It's also trading at 77 pence to the British pound and at 87 cents to the euro. Gold is trading at $1,237, platinum $831 per ounce. The price of Brent crude oil is at $75.58 a barrel. From an African perspective, this remains your favorite channel. Thank you, Tabiso Lehoko. All things sports and more now with Figile Lengwati. Starting off with football news, as the hype builds up to the sold-out Soweto Derby on Saturday afternoon at FNB Stadium in Johannesburg, the focus now has turned to Orlando Pirates assistant coach Rulani Mugwena's comments on Monday that the Kaiser Chiefs bench is technically poor without its former coach Steve Kompela. Mugwena, a self-confessed protege of Kompela, made these comments during the club's media open day at Rennes Stadium. At the Absa Premiership organized press conference at the PSL offices, Chiefs head coach Giovanni Solinas met the media for the first time. And interestingly, he feels that the media could be blowing this out of proportion. No, no, we need more focus in the specific details, more focus in tactical, more focus in this. I don't know, maybe also me, I don't, I don't, know, I don't know him, but... Uh, Maybe it's also the journalist created this because it's a very surprise. Normally, uh, the coach is not talking with in this manner. 
in my opinion, maybe it's the journalist uh, made the history. Chiefs captain and number one goalkeeper Idumelenkuni has dismissed his mind games. The statements made by Mugwena. To be quite honest, I heard about what Coach Rulani said, but I didn't pay too much attention into it. I, I respect him as a human being. I respect him as a coach. But we, we are focusing on ourselves. We are focusing in our camp. And we won't let anything from outside come in and distract us. So we respect his comments, but we will just focus in our camp and prepare for the derby. Definitely. <laughs> it is my game, so we won't let it distract us. And in hockey news, the South African men's hockey team will take on France in a test series with dates for the four matches planned yet to be announced. South Africa will be hoping to step up their preparation for the Hockey World Cup to be held in India in two months' time. Veteran goal Rassi Peter says friendly matches are always welcome for the national team. South Africa and France are both ranked 15th and 16th in the world rankings respectively and they are looking to fill most of the World Cup squads with the impetus largely placed on fine-tuning the squad. And Peter admits that France has skillful players. Opener Imrul Kais and Litin Daz hid big half centuries as Bangladesh crossed Zimbabwe by seven wickets in the second one-day international to take an unassailable 2 0 lead in the three-match series in Chittagong. Imrul missed out on his second century in the series when he was dismissed for 90. But this was enough to have Bangladesh cruise to 250 for three in 44 overs after they restricted Zimbabwe to 246 for six at Zahur Ahmed Chowdhury Stadium. Imrul, who played a match-winning knock of 144 runs in Sunday's series opener, shared 148 runs with Lytton Das in the opening stand, Bangladesh's best ODI start in 2018. And finally, Golf News' Brendan Grace will spearhead the South African charge at the World Golf Championship Champions Tournament in Shanghai at the Shinshan International Golf Club this week. Grace will be joined by Brendan Stone, Justin Harding, George Gutier, Eric Van Royen, J.C. Ritchie and Oliver Becker in the 78-player field. Grace has had a solid year thus far, only missing two cuts at the Open and Northern Trust in 22 events. He finished T48 at the CJ Cup last week in South Korea. The world number 46 will be hoping to regain some winning form ahead of the business end of the European Tour season as he is currently ranked 36th in the race to Dubai standings. A 30-year-old will defend his title at Africa's Major, the Nedbank Golf Challenge at the Gary Player Country Club in Sun City next month. That's your Sport News this hour. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zora. Africa, Amuka na Unai. And that's it from the Africa Rise and Shine team today. Myself, Kakisho Sakatelo, our producers, Pomoto Ramakaza and Pomoto Mopulani, our technical producer, and as well as the rest of the team, thank you very much for listening. You can send us your comments via WhatsApp to this number, plus 2776-300-3327, or tweet us at Africa. That's the Twitter handle, or you can send us an email to info at channelafrica.org. Now to take us to the top of the hour from the news, 
on the frequency 7230 kHz on the 41 meter band to Southern Africa is of course Double HP Jaba Senganga featuring Momulemi with a song titled Let Me Be.